you have a protector, guarder, and defender. Who, if it went all the way to death, you were, you were falsely convicted all the way to death, and you died, he would yet have protected you because he will bring you home to eternal glory. Now again, you're not required to do that in every situation. But do you view even a situation like that as not some personal vendetta against you or God harming you in some way, but you view that as an opportunity to preach the gospel and to witness the gospel? And then lastly, are your comfort and security found in what you have? Or are you secure in the treasure you have stored up in heaven? Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. He, there, was, there was work that the Lord had given him to do. And so he said, no, I'm going to battle this in the legal system. We're going to take it to the next court. We're going to the highest court of appeals, the court of Caesar so that he wouldn't be killed, so they would not be imprisoned in Jerusalem under the, under the hands of the Jews. So this does not mean that Christians should never defend their legal rights in any way. And notice you have a believer before unbelievers. If unbelievers who are bringing, have taken Paul into court, as it were, bringing accusations, and Paul says, uh-uh. If I'm guilty, fine, you, you take the penalty. But I'm not guilty, you know it isn't true, and so I'm appealing to the next level of justice. Very interesting that when Paul finally gets to that next level of justice, the best indication is what? That they exonerated him and that he was set free. It worked. It accomplished the very thing he desired. Both he gets to speak before Caesar and then he gets to continue to do the work of the ministry that God had given him to do. There are times to hold on to legal rights. This also does not mean be that Christians can never go to court at all. All right, again, now this was Paul. He, he, he didn't go to court. He was taken to court. But it also doesn't mean the flip side that a, a Christian could never pursue legal action. doesn't mean that either. And sometimes this is brought from 1 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, where it says, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law court? Now, we'll look at that in a little more detail. Right, but in, in the situations where the church cannot be brought to bear, particularly when it has to do with unbelievers, or as we will see, when believers refuse to lay down a claim that has been, that has been settled by the church, then this passage does not mean that no believer could ever continue to pursue that, particularly when others influence or others either uh, lives or property are at stake when it's not simply his own, or when there is some necessary lesson that it seems good that, that someone else would learn that they need to learn, and they can't learn it if the lawsuit or whatever is going on is simply dropped. So this is not that a Christian could never go to court. See, this is not that Christians are always obligated to pay a stiffer legal penalty than the one demanded by the court. And again, we've already seen that with Paul. You want, my, you want me to go to Jerusalem? Well, you know, I'll just give you my life. 
So it's not a principle that says anytime someone asks for you that it is required of you in every situation to say, well, I will give you more. There are times, and certainly the attitude of the heart even then should be a gracious, gentle willingness to give whatever is necessary so that the gospel would go forth. But this is not an obligation to every believer to, if the fine is 20 bucks, well, I'll give you 40. You know, you got your traffic violation and you got to pay, you know, 80 bucks. Well, I'll, I'll give you 120 just to help the legal system out, right? You're not required to do that. That's not what this is teaching. And then, and then uh, D here, it is not teaching that Christians should never try to address grievances between believers because this is sometimes used to prove that as well. Look, you're not even supposed to be having any grievances at all. If I've harmed you or sinned against you or done something wrong and people use this in the church, they're like, hey, you just need to deal with it. They go back to the turn the other cheek. They use it, misuse it because it has to do with the legal system, but they're, they're persecuting you in some way. They've done some even legal thing against you. And, hey, we're Christians. What are you doing taking me to court? Why would you do this? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6 just briefly to see what it does and does not teach. Again, we're not going to look in depth here, but this has been much misused. So I just want to point out a couple of thoughts from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that are not what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5. I just read the first two verses, all right, which is when he has a case against his neighbor, how do any of you dare to go before the righteous, uh, before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Very interesting. Notice that. It says, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. He's not saying you shouldn't ever go to law in essence. He's saying don't do it before the unrighteous. With two believers, if there is a grievance, even a legal one, it should nearly always be, be sought to be solved within the church itself. Now, again, that's not a mandate. There are times when legal matters need to be immediately taken to those who are, are able to properly address them. So you've got to be very careful here. But certainly when it's almost always, when it's a personal grievance, it should not go before the unrighteous and certainly not immediately, but it doesn't mean that it shouldn't go before the church or before someone who is able to make a judgment about it. Because that's essentially what Paul says. If you have a real grievance, even a legal one, first go to believers. Don't run to the unrighteous in order to, in order to solve this. But he's not saying, he's not prohibiting ever raising any issue. Continuing on, verse 3. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the matters of this life? Essentially what he's saying is the best place in the world to have a decision made about a legal grievance or some other grievance when it comes to the personal issues involved, certainly, is in the church. How do unbelievers understand these things? And by the way, you will find that the moment you enter into the unbelieving legal system, all of the, all of the personal kindness, generous, generosity, and graciousness disappears. You have legal justice only. Right? You're not going to get people to say, oh, you need to be kind and gracious. You need to consider how you might consider that person's needs more important than yourself. Absolutely not, or at least in, in, in the vast majority of cases. So Paul's saying, look, believers have enough wisdom given by God that they ought to be able to judge one another because they're going to judge angels, as it were. In the coming kingdom, they're going to be the ones who are making judgments about the things going on in the world. And so certainly they should be able to do this with the wisdom that God has given them. Verse 4. So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? Look, look, unbelievers deal with the law stuff out there. You wouldn't take someone who is an unbeliever, is not of any account in the church, and, 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 go to that and bring them into the church to accomplish this. So certainly you wouldn't go out to them and say, hey, you should deal with my grievance. They're not even believers. They, they, they don't even have a right to speak to these sorts of things within the church. So it makes no sense to try to get a settlement between believers from those who aren't even part of the church. It goes on to say, 
I say this to your shame. Is it so, verse 5, that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? Well, oftentimes it isn't that there aren't wise men. It's just that there's no one willing to go before those wise men. Because somebody wants to get there, they want to get, get back what they want. And they go, whoa, if I go before the church, this, is going to be, this one's going to be solved, probably not for me. Right? But very often that's what's really happening. But what's the implication? There are wise men that should be able to deal with these things. And so when you have real disputes, find a wise man. Find that person within the church. Don't ignore the dispute. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Deal with it. Now, again, it's not every case you do this. It isn't every grievance. But when there is a real one that needs to be dealt with, keep it in the church if, if you, they are believers. But find a wise man who can deal with it. It says, verse 6, but brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers? Verse 7, actually then it's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. This kind of reveals what's really going on. It doesn't appear, it appears that in a lot of these cases, it was not a true grievance. It was someone who wanted to wrong and defraud another. Almost exactly what is being spoken of in Matthew chapter 5. But this is going on in the church. And they're running out to unbelievers, and you can, it, it appears obvious that the one who is doing the wronging and defrauding doesn't want to play, place it within the church, so they're the one taking it outside, forcing it to go to an outside place. He goes, don't do that. Bring that person before the church. That is, before a wise person in the church, you can make a dispute. And by the way, I've had the opportunity of doing this at least three times since I've been here at Grace in these 10 years, and, and each time there has been a, a, a profitable resolution. And I'm very grateful to those who took advantage of this, where they would come. It's not only I, uh, so other the, the elders have done this as well, where they've said, look, we have a problem. We have an issue. Let's come before the church. Let's, let's, let's find someone there that we feel like can make a good decision about it. And then both people have abided by the decision. It's a, it's a great victory. They didn't have to then move on into the legal system. But sometimes it is necessary and right and good to do that. And believers and the church ought to have enough wisdom to get it done. A church that does not have enough discernment to do this is barely a church at all. And a church in which there are those who would pursue these things and refuse to bring it to the church, well, the indication is that those, those people are already sinning in their heart attitude. That's the problem. They're wronging and defrauding. And at that point, the Apostle Paul says, look, this, this, ought, this ought to be dropped. And, and I think he's primarily speaking on the side of the one who's doing the wronging and the defrauding. Saying, you should not even be here. Because your heart attitudes, your heart motives are wrong. So it does not mean that Christians should never try to address grievances between believers. As a general rule, if the dispute then moves outside the church, someone is sinning, seeking to wrong or defraud another. That's a tremendous defeat already. Now, again, I'm not even saying there might not be times when a dispute that started within the church or one is continuing to wrong and defraud another, that it wouldn't be necessary to take that outside the church, the one who is being wronged and defrauded, and possibly then move before unbelievers. If there's tremendous harm to be done to family or to the church itself, if it's just personal, very often, as we'll see, we're just going to move back to this passage and say, you know what, it's just against me. I can deal with it. It's wrong. It's harmful. You're defrauding me. I, I can deal with it because the Lord is gracious and he provides for me. Guys, if it's going to, if it's going to impact other members of the church in a, in a harmful way or other members of your family in, in a harmful way, it may be necessary even then to step outside the church to deal with it so that the proper consequences can be brought to bear. So this is going to take great wisdom as you consider the nature of these things. And th again, there's probably more than one of you here who has had to work through and wrestle through these kinds of issues. And this will most likely happen again. Well, that's what it does not mean. Now let's take a look at what it does mean. 
What, what kind of attitude, what kind of actions are we talking about here? So in dealing with not resisting evil men and turning the other cheek, we've already fleshed out the basic underlying principles of all these commands. That is, when someone is harming you legally, you do not, in some kind of evil or vindictive way, try to get back at them. You countersue. You do some other kind of lawsuit to come against them with an evil and vindictive heart. You don't try to get your own revenge through the legal system when someone is coming after you. That's what it means not to resist an evil person. In general, when the insult is personal against you, and certainly always in your heart, you are never going to try to try to instigate some kind of response in return that is either, either evil or revengeful as it works through the legal system. And by the way, if that were just the case, then, then many, many of the frivolous suits which are brought would, would instantly go away because so often they are brought out of someone who wants revenge. And maybe even someone who's actually been harmed legally. And so they're going to get back and they're going to use the legal system to do it because it's the only way that they can, they can think to do it. However, all right, some specific application needs to be made, and particularly in the positive sense here, and, and what it has to do with, with, with legal action and really with our hearts in general. So the principle here, what does it mean? The first one is desire to show Christ to the one who is suing you by the joyful, graceful way you handle the lawsuit against you. Regardless of how it goes or what actually happens or, or any of the things that, that flow from it, your heart or your desire as you work your way through whatever lawsuit it might be, is that your heart would have a joyful, graceful disposition which the person who is suing you would clearly see. It's the primary issue that you don't get angry and bitter and begin to respond to them either, either personally, individually, or through your lawyers or whatever it might be in some kind of vindictive and angry way. Regardless of what is going on and when this is actually moved to legal action. Now, probably one of the, the primary examples of this is in divorce court. We have one spouse that is seeking to end the marriage. And there's, there's, there's few things that are more harmful than that, particularly with there's, when there's a spouse who says, I don't want to end the marriage. It's now, ended, it's now moved into the legal system. But what oftentimes what happens is that lawyers seeking to get money or just seeking to, in some senses, trying to protect maybe the legal rights of the one being divorced will, will instigate or will, will incite them to be as mean as possible. Okay, you're going to have to fight fire with fire here. You're going to have to get back what, what you need. You got to be careful. You need to, you know, there's much wisdom that needs to be applied here. But regardless of what happens, when there's a vindictive and angry heart, particularly when it comes down to two, two people who have been living together in marriage, there's almost no place where it is harder to demonstrate this kind of gracious personal response. And of course, then every other thing is, is probably, in one sense, easier to handle and yet tremendously difficult. Resist the urge to get nasty and vindictive. You will be encouraged to do this because it makes good money for lawyers. The more angry and vindictive you get, the more you try to get, the more money they're going to earn. And so you have to be very careful when this happens. And here's where I'd like to hit at, at a bit of an underlying principle. Regardless of whether or not you ever end up in the legal system in this way, really one of the primary things going on here that I think Jesus is addressing is our greediness. Because that's the other reason why so many lawsuits are filed. And they're filed. Sometimes someone will be harmed on someone's property, and they realize that if they sue that person, that they're only going to get, it, you know, that person doesn't even have very much money. So what do they do? They try to find some company to go after who manufactured the product. They're, you know, they're skateboarding on someone's driveway. They fall over, and they're going to sue the person. They realize this person doesn't have any money. The lawyers instantly figure this out. You're not going to make any money if you do that. So let's sue the manufacturer of the, of the skateboard and figure out something he should have done that they didn't so you could get more money. The issue is greed. And whether you've ever, ever entered into the court system or not, you know that greed very easily drives your heart. 
And it's very easy to get vindictive. It's very easy to, to when someone particular is coming against you in any way that might threaten your security and your possessions to allow your greed to take over. Some of the primary issues in legal battles regarding our possessions is our covetousness, our love of comfort, and our desire for more. I remember I was in a, a fender bender. I was about five. I've been here about five years, and I was turning around. I actually had a group of teens with me. Uh, I'd stopped. You know, I was turning right, right up here at the five corners uh, where now Dead End Barbecue is. And the person that stopped, I wasn't paying attention. It was my fault. But I was only going about half a mile an hour, and I bumped into the back of him. Right, and so I hopped out of the car. We were right there. I hopped out of the car, and I walked up, and I knocked on the window, and he didn't respond. He was all slumped over like this, and I was like, "Come on." I mean, I mean, I barely touched this car. I looked at the back of the car. He couldn't even see that I'd hit it. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm in trouble here. What is this guy going to do? Well, thankfully, and I'm grateful, our, uh, the police showed up. They, they see him slumped over in the car. He slumped there for probably 10 minutes until they got there, like he was somehow harmed. Well, he showed up, or the police showed up. He's kind of got out of the car real slow, like he was hurt. And the police said, well, what happened? I explained, and he, he explained, why well, I mean, a guy hit me from behind, hit me pretty hard. The policeman walks around behind and looks at the car, and he goes, I can't even see a mark. Why are we here? Do you really want to do anything with this? The guy, guy, he hadn't looked at the car. He didn't know what it looked like. He was hoping, it seems to me, that maybe there was a lot more there than was. He walks around and goes, he goes, oh, no, it's fine. Walk, and hops in his car and walks off. Because that's the idea, though. He was looking at what? Hey, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get a couple thou out of this. Maybe I'll get some additional money. It seems to me, not wishing to directly judge the motives of his heart, but it certainly seems like that was going on. But you guys, we can judge him easily for that, but how quick are we to want to try to get some additional advantage as quickly as we can, particularly when we think we can get it? We think we get away with it. I'll get as much money as I can, maybe from another unbeliever, maybe from the government itself. They bleed me dry, I'll bleed them dry. Guys, watch out. That's the heart being talked about here. And so you want to get what you can, and so you try to fire back. What does 1 Timothy 6 say? 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich, so often why litigation happens, so often why people fire back, and those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. I mean, does that not describe our society? We want to get rich, and we fall into temptation and a trap which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money, which is the root of most lawsuits. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, says Paul, flee these things. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5. Flee the desire for revenge. Flee your greedy desire to get more out of the situation. Instead, pursue righteousness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And really, the issue is that we seek first his kingdom. When we seek first the kingdom of God, we don't worry about our possessions. Even when our clothing is being taken, God will provide. That's the only way you could have that kind of heart. Someone is going for your shirt in Matthew chapter 5. They say, it's okay, because God will provide for me. I could even give it. If it seems in this situation like this would benefit the gospel, I will give my shirt because God will give me one back. I can give my coat because God will provide for me and care for me in the ways that I need to be cared for. I'm not, I'm not saying that you give something God gives you back the, you know, that of equal value. So no, just simply that he will provide for you. 
And if you know that your king is the gracious and righteous provider, then you can feel free to have a heart that doesn't clutch your possessions. And when someone is trying to take them, then you can maintain the proper attitude. Even if you end up saying, I don't think they ought to take my shirt. I think we need to work through this because my, my family needs me to have a shirt. If your heart is properly oriented around seeking first the kingdom of God, you will not grow vindictive and angry. Matthew 6, 31. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? And what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. They're trying to take it from you in Matthew chapter 5. They want your cloak and your shirt. Your shirt. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That is anything that you need. Ultimately, what God determines that you need in any given situation, he will provide. You don't have to clutch it. That's the heart that will enable you to live out this command to give your coat when asked for your shirt. B, then, is be willing to give up legal rights when there will be some benefit for the gospel. Because technically and legally, the outer garment in this example couldn't even be demanded, but willing to being willing to offer it up, if that would mean that someone would see the righteousness of Christ, the grace and love of Christ flowing through you, that they would see your trust in Christ in the midst of an incredibly difficult situation, if it would do that, then give it up. And particularly this, if your heart is vengeful and angry and you have no recourse, it seems to you, then either to be vengeful and angry or to give up your shirt, then give up your shirt. Tom Pennington says this, if you have to choose between a revengeful heart and losing everything, lose everything because that's better than having a revengeful heart. That's the starkness of the contrast. That's what an amazing thought. And so all the things that I told you this doesn't mean the things that it does mean seem impossible, don't they? How can I have a heart like that? And someone's coming after me legally in, in, the, in the most harmful kind of way. And I, want to be, I would be so protective against a vengeful heart that I would give everything to keep that from happening. I would give up whatever it takes. Guys, for the purpose of the gospel, you certainly can't give it up any more than Jesus gave. Now, again, we know there are times when Jesus sat before the legal system and they slapped him and he said, hey, what are you doing? That's wrong. But ultimately, underneath that legal system, and as we will see next week, the governmental oppression that came against him for the purpose of the gospel, he gave his very life. This is our driving principle. We don't give everything in every case from our possessions necessarily, but always we give up our pride. We give up our security. We give up our own comfort. We give up our greed always, regardless of, of, of legal or other matters that are brought against us, that we might represent our Savior well and that people might say, that doesn't look anything like the world. I've never seen that. I don't understand how you can live in this way when all these things are coming against you, even in the midst of a legal battle that you're pursuing because it needs to be done, that your heart is, is, lacks revenge. It is, it's desires to give good even to the one who is, who is currently harming you. And again, it takes us back to Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Why? because it activates his conscience in such a way that he knows that there is a holy God, even in this most difficult of legal matters. So let me ask you a couple questions before we go to communion. And it may be that your time at communion is spent answering these questions. 
and, and repenting as needed and rejoicing as is appropriate. The first one is how anxious are you to defend your personal rights? That's going to show up pretty quickly when there's legal issues. You can't do that to me. I will make you pay. You can't, you can't. That shows up just personally, but it shows up, it moves its way to legal things so quickly. I mean, I hope you don't ever take the time to watch it, but I was over with my daughters at our little local convenience store right across the street, and we're trying to have a, a date afternoon, and they're playing the, what is that, that some court show. This stuff is vile what those people say to each other. You know, they put them up there, kind of like a dog and pony show. You got the guy standing there, the judge. It's all, I mean, they're doing it, but it's, it's totally, and one says totally fake. And so they're yelling at each other and screaming at each other over these unbelievably foolish little things. And we're watching it and loving it. It's just the expression of the evilness of our heart. How anxious are you? These people, they've got to defend their personal rights. You don't have to defend your personal rights. You have a defender. So you don't have to pursue it. To, it's certainly not to legal action. How anxious are you? Give it up. You're not that important. The Lord Jesus is much more important, but even equally so, the other person who is suing you or harming you is more important than you from the standpoint of this. They need to go to heaven. They need to know Jesus. If you already know him, then it behooves you to help them see that. How greedy or how does greed drive you beyond what is right and fair when you've been attacked and harmed? Are you greedy to the standpoint that you're going to go past even what is necessary and certainly beyond what is even right and fair, or that you're always going to demand what is right and fair, not because it's right and fair, but because you're greedy. And you've got to have your stuff, and you have to have your comfort, and you can't give it up. If that's what's driving you, drop it. Change your heart or drop whatever it is you're pursuing. Drop it instantly. Or change your heart so that you can pursue it in a proper way. How quick are you to view every situation as an opportunity for the gospel? Every situation, all the way to legal suits brought against you with vindictive intent. No, no, no. That's not something that's going to destroy your life, regardless of how it works out. Because your life can't be destroyed. You have a protector, guarder, and defender. Who, if it went all the way to death, you were, you were falsely convicted all the way to death, and you died, he would yet have protected you because he will bring you home to eternal glory. Well, again, you're not required to do that in every situation. But do you view even a situation like that as not some personal vendetta against you or God harming you in some way, but you view that as an opportunity to preach the gospel and to witness the gospel? And then lastly, are your comfort and security found in what you have or are you secure in the treasure you have stored up in heaven so that you can respond to anyone who tries to take your stuff with a gracious, gentle, kind, calm, loving demeanor? Those are some things to consider. As Paul comes and we do communion this morning, carefully take those things before the Lord. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace,
but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.